coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss how Fin7 leverages enabled macroeconomics. Holy mackerel, Hidden Cobra is at it again. The FBI has issued another joint alert about a new piece of malware. And finally, the CIA sets up CHOP on tour. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 13, recorded on May 13th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Please be my pun pal, LaBelle. With me, co-host Emily, anti-hacker, hacker club, hacker. And last but not least, Tim putting the helming in overwhelming. Welcome. Can I just say I'm really impressed at how you said Emily's title for this week like you just spun that right up i think i would have tripped over that like 10 yeah, no times no mistakes trying to all. say that i've been practicing it's a tongue twister it shows it is i've got some good hacks for it though ah tongue not twisted <laughs> well we just have to talk about the fact that we are recording this on may 13th and it's episode number 13 so it's a very lucky episode for sure surely. stars have aligned the stars have aligned we should go to the 13 coins after we're done with this today to mm, celebrate. Surely. For those who don't know, if, if you haven't been to Seattle, we've got this venerable institution here, a restaurant called the 13 Coins, which is a 24-hour fine dining type restaurant. It's not It's not a diner. It's not like an IHOP. It's, it's expensive, but it's really good. And it's 24 hours. And, you know, where else do you get that? That's pretty There's crazy. There's probably I've something like that. that in L.A., but... Uh, that's been in Seattle for ever and ever. So if you come visit Seattle, go to the 13 Coins, preferably at like 3 in the morning, just because you can. <laughs> yeah, for the I've novelty. learned something. Yeah, for the novelty of it all. I did not know that. Me neither. Yeah. There We've you all go. learned something new today. Yes, we have. That's why we're here. <laughs> well, speaking of, we've got a bunch of great topics to cover today. So we're going to jump right in to the first one, which is Fin7 leverages enabled macroeconomics. So in 2018 through 2019, research of Kaspersky's lab's global research and analysis team analyzed various campaigns that use the same TTPs as the historic Fin7. So leading the researchers to believe basically that this threat actor had remained active despite the arrests that occurred actually back in 2018. So this is an update. We're still seeing active campaigns. So let's start with you, Emily. Can you give us the lowdown on the recent Fin7 campaigns? Yes, I can. Um, as you mentioned, in August of 2018, there were several individuals who uh, were purported to be high-ranking, if you will, individuals within Fin7 that were arrested. But it doesn't seem to have put a damper on their operations at all because Kaspersky isn't just seeing like brand new activity. There's, they've been monitoring activity pretty much ever since then. Some of this has taken place all the way back in September, which was the very next month. Um, recently, they've been using some spear phishing emails. And it, according to Kaspersky, it's possible that they were targeting over 130 companies. One thing that I found interesting noted in this article was a particular tactic that they had used, which was to create a fake pen testing, a fake penetration testing company, um, which used language from a variety of legitimate infosec companies um, and was actually having job postings out on like LinkedIn and other job posting sites and 
seemed to be tricking um, real pen testers into doing criminal work when they thought they were doing legitimate work. So that's kind of terrifying. So the opposite of a pen pal. A pen adversary, if a you will. A pen adversary. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be so weird. Instead of having a pen pal to have like a pen nemesis <laughs> that you just write angry lovers back and forth with. <laughs> they Isn't make what, me better. Uh, the IRS is for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll play it, Tim. Um, I do have to say that there's a distinct sense of poetic justice or the opposite of justice that a group called Fin7 is into spearfishing. Which came first, the spearfishing or the the name? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, we were talking about that earlier because Fin in this case, I believe, is short for financial. They're they're they are a group that goes after financial gain. But um, the article headline that Kaspersky posted called them a, a rig instead of a group. And um, we got pretty deep into the uh, etymological origins of the word rig. And it has to do with pirates or like boats. And so hmm. there's fins, boats, spearfishing. I mean, everything about this relates to the ocean, in my opinion. So. <laughs> Shiver me timbers. Yeah. <laughs> so what uh, – basically, it sounds like Fin7 has developed their own builder. Um, so what is this builder doing? Can you give us some context on how this plays into this particular campaign? Yeah, so it looks like they developed a homemade builder f to make their malicious office docks. And um, Kaspersky says that this is likely to avoid detection because their old docks um, had their IOCs published. So they're using a homemade builder that inserts random values in the author and company metadata fields and allows um, them to modify different IOCs, um, such as file names. Uh, and that way it won't be as easy for them to have their IOCs published and then for detection tools to be able to pick up on those if they send them to companies. So they made this homemade builder in order to basically get around um, detection tools. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up um, this idea that just struck me, which is I'm imagining a Breaking Bad type show, but the way we talk about threat actors, it's like they cooked up their own builder. With office docs. <laughs> it's like people in a trailer. In the middle of the desert. Making, making an office these, dock. These office docs. Um, I think it would be called Breaking Bad, just saying. Um, or the op creating bad, perhaps. I don't know. It's counterpart. Not Breaking Badness. Certainly not. <laughs> That's taken. Don't take our brain equity. <laughs> so moving forward, Emily. Sorry to derail you so many times. But what is Griffin Malware? Um, I know that came up again in this uh, this particular document, an article. How does it factor into the discussion about Fin7? And additionally, I know Cobalt Goblin and Empire Monkey. I left a pause in there so everybody could absorb how ridiculous that name is. What yeah. do these things all have to do with this campaign and this group? Besides just being a string of bizarre words that they've put together in the same paragraph, there is actually more of a connection there. So the Griffin implant itself is what the malicious docs from above uh, that we were talking about, the builder docs, if you will. That's what they're delivering um, to the victims. And it's an implant that ha that is modular, so it can have different capabilities. And so far, they've identified four modules associated with it. So there was a reconnaissance module that was used um, 
to gain information about the infected machine, a meterpreter module that downloads TinyMet, a screenshot module, and a persistence module. And those are just what they've already identified. So it's, you know, of course possible that there's more. And as far as Cobalt Goblin and Empire Monkey and any other names you want to just kind of <laughs> apparently It's like a password builder gone own. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that is another group that has a lot of overlap with Fin7. Some... Some people say that they are the same group, as far as I know. Like, uh, hmm. Carbonac is Cobalt Goblin, I believe, and that a lot of people have said that they might actually be the same group, Fin7N, Cobalt Goblin, Empire Monkey, Carbonac, insert random word here. <laughs> um, but Kaspersky in this article is saying that they're heavily related and have a lot of overlapping infrastructure and operations, but are two, but have two distinct goals, um, which is why they're calling them two distinct Groups. So, I mean, well, I guess it could be the same people, but the way that Kaspersky uh, breaks up their threat actor groups, they're saying since they have different goals, that in this particular case, they are different groups, even though they have a lot of overlapping infrastructure. Mm, that makes sense. And um, as to not make this a game of 20 questions, I will ask you but one more question, Emily. Okay. Which, and I'm throwing a lot of vocab from this piece, but I think it was very well written. There are a lot of different components that were discussed, so I just want to touch on a few of them. But I noticed that uh, copy-paste came up. What is that? So copy-paste is actually a whole nother um, campaign that Kaspersky says they've been tracking for a while that they think might be related to Fin7. They list a few reasons that they, um, or some some items that they say are overlap that could be indicative of it being the same group, such as um, they both use the same PowerShell argument. I cannot say that word. Oh, my gosh. Obfuscation. Obfuscation. Thank you. I can't say That word in itself is obfuscation. I cannot say that word. I never have been able to. (laughs) That thing. Um, (laughs) They both also used decoy 302 HTTP redirections, and they both typo squatted the same company. But Kaspersky was the first to admit that those are some pretty weak connections um, and that it's possible that the two groups aren't related at all. But they kind of threw it out there as a as a possibility, as a thing to look out for. Very interesting. And uh, Tim, you've been very quiet. I figure you might have some thoughts brewing on this entire campaign and these ridiculous names. What are your thoughts? Well, I uh, mainly, I think, and, you know, we're going to get to the hoodie ratings in a minute, but um, Maldocs are really continuing to be an incredibly successful vector for um, for compromise. And so um, I think we're going to see, you know, unfortunately, we're going to see some, some fallout from this thing. Um, and um, these attackers are getting creative. I mean, they've always been creative, right? But so this is this is just like one of the newer uh, uh, examples, but um, they're going um, to they're gonna continue to test our ability to successfully choose which uh, documents to open or not, um, because they're going to keep, you know, we're, we're going to keep seeing maldocs that can be in some cases hard to uh, detect as such. And Tim... I think that's actually a great lead-in to those hoodie ratings. With that in mind, what would you rate this at? I think I would put this um, at, I don't know, a a six or a seven. I mean, we still got to uh, assume that 
if people are practicing a good level of skepticism around attachments that they receive and, and emails in general that could be potentially fish, they ought to spot these and stop them, but they're not going to all the time. So, you know, I don't think this is a, a world-shaking kind of development, but I think it's it's going to get some victims. There's no question about that. So, I don't know. I'd put it at somewhere probably around a six. Okay. And Emily, do you have any conclusions or whatnot? I want to give you an opportunity to, um, as Tim had some takeaways, and then lead into your hoodie score. Yeah, just mainly that um, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, the the fake pen test company is the thing that stood out to me when I read this article. I don't think I've seen that before. Um, I'm sure it has existed before, but I haven't really seen it. And the idea that there could be people out there like looking for jobs or um, applying to jobs. And you know how sometimes in like the job application process you have to do you have to do a test basically for the company. Like I'm wondering if that's what this group has been doing and how many people have fallen victim to that and have basically been conducting like an illegal operation without even realizing it. So I think that's kind of scary. Um, but I, for as far as my hoodie rating goes, it's funny because I was in my mind thinking like I give this a six or a seven, and like as I was thinking that, Tim said those exact words. <laughs> Thank so you for wrong. lending me that thought. You're welcome. <laughs> Came in handy. <laughs> um, clearly, we're on the same page there. I know that, especially if you're a financial institution, this is closer, you know, to a seven, obviously, because that's who this group has historically targeted. But seeing as how they had their some of their leaders or operators arrested, and it didn't even so much as slow them down, they're still operating and not just like treading water they're continuing to evolve and grow so i think there's still a threat to to watch out for um and it's definitely something that's still in the six to seven hoodie range yeah i mean if you fall for this thing it's pretty nasty as far as the info that it steals from you so um so it's definitely something to be on the lookout for by the way i just have a quick public service announcement here because you mentioned the decoy 302s in there and so uh, this just went around here at uh, work earlier today, but it's worth sharing with our listeners. If you need a handy way to remember the HTTP 302 codes, look no farther than HTTP.cat. Yes, .cat is a top-level domain, and you've got to visit HTTP.cat, and that's where you will get terrific mnemonics for remembering, oh, what is the code that goes with redirect or forbidden? or and We all know page not found, right, 404. But uh, if you wanted to get good at memorizing all those other obscure HTTP codes that you probably never think about, uh, HTTP.cat. Uh, HTTP Great service announcement, Tim. And so I'm going to ruin that with a terrible pun, which is, holy mackerel, Hidden Cobra is at it again. So the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, a.k.a. the DHS, and the FBI have issued another joint alert about a new piece of malware that the prolific North Korean APT hacking group Hidden Cobra has actively been using in the wild. So here we are, Nat Geo. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we're on Mutual of Omaha here or something. Mutual of Omaha. Well, I guess the show was called Wild Kingdom. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Yeah, I don't know what that is at all. <laughs> We've been mentioning a lot of television in the last few episodes. That's true. Yeah. I don't think uh, Wild Kingdom ever got uh, hacked, though, as mm. far as I know. As far as we know. Well, Tim, let's start with you. 
um, for this particular discussion. Uh, are there any known associations with Hidden Cobra? Yeah, I mean, this group is actually, I know them the best uh, by the name Lazarus Group. And that's probably, I'm, I'm guessing that might actually be the most well-known uh, APT name that they have. Mm -hmm. And uh, also Guardians of Peace is another one of them. But Lazarus, um, if you don't, if you haven't memorized all your particular APT groups, these are the ones that were behind uh, the Sony Breach and the uh, Bangladesh Banking Heist and some of the other bank heists that all got tens of millions of dollars. And uh, maybe most notoriously recently, uh, WannaCry was, uh, was one of their things. So, um, you know, they're Hall of Famers in APT groups, uh, for sure. So Hidden Cobra is, I don't remember whose name is which, but uh, Hidden Cobra or Lazarus Group is, um, is who we're talking about here. So can you find all of these APTs at apt.cat? Oh, well, if nobody's registered apt.cat, we should probably do that and put them up there. <laughs> Let's get on that. <laughs> All right, Tim, so moving on then. Thank you for that uh, synopsis there. And it, it sounds like the DHS and the FBI have uncovered a new malware variant, which is dubbed Electric Fish. So what can you tell us about this particular variant? Yeah, so this is a tunneling uh, malware, and so it's designed for data exfiltration. And um, it's it's kind of interesting. It basically, the malware communicates with a source and a destination, and it essentially brokers a connection between them so that uh, the source will start sending uh, all of your confidential valuable data out to the destination. Um, and it's a command line utility, so the uh, the attacker would actually have to have a foothold in the network, and then they would run this utility, and it would set up the tunnel uh, between the source and the destination. Um, it can go through a proxy server or not, so it's pretty flexible, um, and they can input a username and password into the proxy server. Uh, and it will dynamically set up um, the ports uh, that it's going to use between those um, those IPs. So um, there weren't a ton of details in the advisory that's out about you know exactly um, what the nature of that protocol or like what ports they commonly use. I guess it looks like they can do it um, interactively, like the person actually controlling it can set that up at the time. You know, one of the things that makes me think is at first blush, it looks like this thing could be defeated by anybody that's doing decent egress filtering. I mean, the, the example in the advisory shows them using port 92. Like, I think most organizations at this point don't have random ports like 92 just open to go out to the Internet. And if they do, they really shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So my assumption is you're probably going to set this thing up on port 443 and try to have it hidden with the other uh, other web traffic that's going out. But they don't explicitly say that in the article about it. Anyway, um, its ultimate goal is as a, uh, a fairly efficient means of exfiltrating data. That's pretty fascinating. And I'm curious, too, you mentioned already there wasn't a lot of information that was divulged. Was there any information about which organizations had been infected with the malware? No, uh, they're not. They're not saying that as of now. Um, so, 
that information might come out down the road, but uh, right now, the I would say the FBI and the DHS are being rather tight-lipped about this. Mm, excellent use of tight-lipped. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. Well, Emily, so I want to pick your brain on this, too. Did you have any um, any takeaways that you'd like to share from this, this topic? Yeah, no, just that... Um... You know, Lazarus Group is always a fun one. I feel like um, they have such a wide range of TTPs, I feel like. You know, a lot of times when you talk about certain groups and you list um, their known attacks, they all are very similar. And you're talking about Lazarus Group. It's almost like you can, like, close your eyes and throw it like an InfoSec dartboard. And you're like, sure, okay, I guess Lazarus Group did this today. So they're just a good group um, to to study, not good in their intentions, but good to to research because they're fun. So I think this is going to be one to keep an eye out for as... Sorry, I was trying to buy an InfoSec dartboard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we could just make one. It would be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, uh, as an example, there was a, a rat that these guys built called uh, Jonap, and um, that might be the way that they establish presence uh, within your network in order to use this command line utility, uh, electric fish that they just, um, released. So yeah, they're, they're pretty diversified. <laughs> Someone was paying attention in their investment course and then applied it to InfoSec. <laughs> yeah. I'll let that joke down. <laughs> Era 404, funny, not found. <laughs> um, so Emily, I will have you provide the first hoodie rating then for this attack. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know. This one feels very similar to the, the one we just talked about in that if you are one of their intended targets, this could probably be around a, a six or a seven just because this group is so notorious, <laughs> if you will, um, and because they have been successful in the past. So clearly this is – they have been successful, so they, they have the means to to get what they want. So it's just something to keep out for. So I guess I'm going to put this right around a six again. Very good. Tim? I think I would probably go a little bit lower on this one only because I think that uh, it seems like the detection of this one might not be terribly difficult. Mm, that's a good point. Um, and it looks like some AV vendors are, are getting on detections for it as well. Um, so it's one of these things where if you don't have an infection of this uh, electric fish, your chances of being protected against getting that infection are not terrible. Um, if it does get active on your network and they're able to uh, set it up and use it, then the problem is that it, it's a faster way to exfil your data than some of the other uh, methods that are out there. So if you've got this thing, um, suddenly you're in, uh, you know, potentially in the hurt locker. But I think I would put it at a five right now because um, I think detection of it seems like it should be reasonably kind of feasible and fairly standard hygiene techniques should um, really help your chances of not getting it to begin with. What was that you called it? A, a hurt locker? A hurt locker. Yeah, the hurt, the hurt locker. You don't the, want to be in the hurt locker. There's one particular hurt locker that yeah. you need to avoid. That's right. That's good to know. Explains it's the only one school. I've heard anybody ever talk about. Yeah. They, just, oh. they all say the Hurt Locker. So it's I, like the hot is, seat, but worse. One. Yeah, there's but one hot worse. seat. There's one Hurt Locker. Yeah. Very little ventilation in those things. 
All right, let's move off the topic of pain here. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> so the CIA sets up CHOP on tour. On Tuesday of last week, the CIA announced its own tour onion service so that people around the world can browse the agency's website anonymously or, you know, send history-altering tips. First of all, Emily, if you could provide a brief description of what TOR is for our listeners. Sure. So TOR is a masking service that allows people to um, browse the internet anonymously. So they access it via a special browser, the TOR browser, and it encrypts their internet traffic. Um, It's used by a lot of legitimate groups, so research groups, um, journalists, um, those types of people are using TOR to, to... encrypt their traffic, but it's also been used historically by a lot of criminals. So there's a lot of like forums where you can buy illicit goods and or malware uh, via Tor. And are, are there any other legitimate websites that um, have created these dedicated versions of the, the Onion service? Yeah. So there's a lot of legitimate websites on Tor because, um, like as I mentioned, a lot of legitimate and good, if you will, groups do use Tor for research and whatnot. So this article actually specifically mentioned a few. It mentioned that Facebook and the New York Times both have dedicated uh, onion sites. And then from a law enforcement perspective, the National Police of the Netherlands um, also has a dedicated onion site. So this is this CIA site is actually a first from an intelligence agency um, standpoint, but it's not a first from a, you know, law enforcement or, you know, good, generally well-accepted non-criminal group standpoint. At Hmm. least the first that they're talking about, right? That's true. I mean, that's that's true. true. The first public intelligence agency acknowledged, yeah. I butchered that sentence, but just whatever. (laughs) So what's available on this site? According to the CIA, um, their entire site is available, but from a usage standpoint of why you would be accessing it via Tor and not just via your regular web browser, the only real uses um, seem to be if you want to submit a tip very anonymously. So if you have something that the CIA should know about, but you're really worried about if you um, give that tip that whoever might be coming after you, um, then now you can do that via tour. And then it also, the article mentioned if you want to apply to a job secretly. (laughs) So if you just like really don't want your employer (laughs) to know or something that you're applying to a job at the CIA, I suppose you could do that um, via tour. But um, other than that, I feel like the CIA's website is mostly something that you consume, not that you put information into so right that seems i think More the of a tips push a thing is the main reason that the cia went ahead and put it on tour curious and I'm, I'm very interested to hear both your points of view on this move by the cia what do you think the sentiment is what do you what are your personal beliefs about this uh, decision i've actually seen a lot of mixed reaction about the news um the on the twitter sphere some people have been thinking that it is um a ruse, if you will, or like Ooh, some people ruse. are just exactly. Some people are just generally um, negative about the government and also about the CIA in particular. Um, but Wait, a lot of negative people on Twitter. I it that was is a first for me. So unusual. I'm sorry, I just interrupted. The little you. bird looks so cheerful <laughs> until he pecks your eyes tweet, out. Tweet tweet. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, there was another. <laughs> 
smaller subset of people on Twitter that weren't negative, which is more strange. Um, and they were, I think, kind of generally open to this news. And that's kind of the camp that I fall in. I think that I guess it's possible that the um, the CIA is maybe trying to set this up for some nefarious purposes to do spying or whatnot. But I think more than likely, they really did come at this from the angle that they stated publicly, which was they want to bring themselves to an area where more people will feel comfortable being in contact with them. Because the CIA does have a bit of a reputation. And I think if you're, you know, involved in the type of activities that um, the CIA would want to hear about, it you may not feel comfortable just, like, calling them up, you know? So I think that they really want to get as in the weeds as possible to try and do their job. It's like as as we come into, like, the digital age, whatever they had to um, evolve. And I think this is another step in that evolution of them just trying to get with the times, if you will. So that's my personal take on it. I mean, maybe I'm just like seeing this through rose colored glasses. So I'd be interested, Tim, if you have some more dark glasses. No, I tend to agree with you. I mean, look, Onion is just another kind of region or zone of the web at this point. Mm -hmm. And all kinds of uh, organizations have a presence there. And it's not very surprising to me that that they would, too. And again, I, I'm sure they've had all kinds of presence there that wasn't acknowledged publicly. But to have this um, public-facing uh, face on Tor um, will facilitate some of the things that you already mentioned. And um, I, I just think it's not incredibly surprising. Um, so who knows whether we're going to hear more news about this. We may not. But... Um, I tend to agree that it's probably being done for the reasons that they're saying. Because if they if they want to get super secret, they're the CIA. They're pretty good at that. Very true. Well, I, I want to lead into hoodie ratings. I know this is sort of a funky use case for that. So I'm going to recommend that we approach this then from the optimistic angle that Emily came from, from a threat actor's perspective. Um, having this in place, what type of threat does that pose to them, basically, in hoodie ratings? I think that from a threat actor or from a good person perspective, <laughs> this is pretty much zero hoodies. And I was, if I was a threat actor, I would not be afraid of this. Like, I just don't think it's something that's going to affect them, especially immediately. And like Tim said, this is just the first time that they've had public presence on tour so if you if you've been operating on tour you're a fool if you think that law enforcement hasn't been on tour like monitoring your activities this is just their website is now on tour so i think honestly this is this is i don't know if we're allowed to do zero hoodies but if not then point one you're totally allowed to do zero hoodies you can do as many or as few hoodies as you want thanks i feel empowered actually i I was gonna hold a committee meeting on that but um <laughs> committee on hoodie hoodie approved uh, Yay. Legality. <laughs> what about you tim it i agree it's really low i was i'll say like 500 milli hoodies half a hoodie it's um it's pretty negligible i think if it does in fact serve as a place where people can give anonymous tips on suspicious activity then that might make uh that might push some uh, bad actors a little bit closer to the one and only Hurt Locker, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to have a real big impact. I think it'll be important actually for you to clarify which half of the hoodie do you think 
this is. Oh, like mm-hmm. the upper, lower, left, right, right, left, yeah, you can, front, back. There's many ways to there cut must a hoodie. Be Fifty ways to cut your hoodie. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. That's a good point. Well, I think I think this is the front of the hoodie because oh. that's the whole point. They're being up front. They're putting uh-huh. a public face out there. So the particular pieces of the hoodie that this is are the ones right in the front. Wow. Hoodie in the front, party in the back. Hard-hitting question. <laughs> the mullet of hoodies. <laughs> oh, boy. See that at your next trade show. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.